0: I assume that uh, most of us here have seen the Harry Potter movies at some point, or part of the movies, if not all seven or eight of them, however many there are. How many of you have read the books, though? All right, good. A good number of you have read the books, because there's something that comes out in the, uh, the books that I think is really awful and sad. That doesn't come across in the movies. And, and it's this. One of the saddest parts of the Harry Potter books The stories is that Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia never acknowledged Harry's birthday. Every year his birthday would come and go and they never did anything to acknowledge that they had this boy in their home. In fact, the first birthday that Harry remembered getting a birthday cake was when Hagrid came and got him, right? Does that look familiar? Is anybody else feeling hungry all of a sudden? Yeah, that looks pretty, pretty yummy there. The spelling's special, too. Um, why is it sad that they never even acknowledged Harry's birthday? Well, it really rather kind of negates his life. It's like they're saying, we, we don't even care that you exist. And it ignores the wonder of life, this, this miracle that is in every life, every birth, every person has been brought into this world to be loved by God and to be restored to him through faith in Jesus. And it ignores the value that each and every person has. And we know this value because God gave his only begotten son to die for each person. Do you remember the word that we've been using to talk about that as we go through 1 John? He gave his son to be a propitiation, right? That's that that weird word that we keep running into in, in the readings, but it means that he was this blood sacrifice that brings atonement, that brings peace with God and reconciliation with him. And did you think for a moment that I would get through this sermon without saying the word propitiation? (laughs) Or maybe you were only hoping? So I do hope that your parents celebrate your birthdays with cakes and treats and all that good stuff. However, there is another birth that we need to talk about, A, a, a birth that we celebrate in each one of us, and that today we are celebrating in a special way in you two. It's a birth that we all share with all of God's people. And maybe you heard this in 1 John uh, when we read it just a little bit ago, when we read, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. You have been born of God. That's a miracle. You know, sometimes we, we talk about the miracle of birth and, and you know, this amazing thing that, that happens physically. You know, you know and it's, just, it's just this incredible thing. But there's another miracle that's going on here. That when we come to faith, when we come to be born of God, that's not something that, you know, that, that we did on our own. It's not something that, you know, well, I, I read the Bible and I figured this all out. Now I understand. No. Remember what you learned in confirmation class. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me. This is God's work in each of you to make you into his people, to give you this this new birth and I, I fear, I fear it's something that we tend to overlook because you remember when you were not a Christian? Me neither. I was baptized when I was a month old. You guys very similar, right? You were really little kids. And I'd be willing to bet as I, you know, if I were to survey the congregation that most of you would have that same story. And so our new birth into Christ happened very close to our actual birth, our physical birth. And so we've never known anything else. We grew up as part of God's family. And we we miss what a, a miracle is it is that we are part of this, this fellowship. That just like when you go home and you belong in your family, when you come here, you belong. You belong to God, but you also belong to one another because you're brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and this, is, this is kind of how John starts out, you know, part of his letter here. He said, talks about how amazing it is that we should be called children of God. Look at how God has loved us, that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. And this is why we love the Father, because he has loved us. And more than that, because we love the Father, and because we know the Father loves each and every one of us, we love one another. We love whoever has been born of him. So what does that look like? What does that look like when when we love the Father and we, we, we love one another? Well, John continues, remember, this is kind of like grandpa talking to us, giving us some instructions for our lives. And John says, by this we know that we love, love the children of God, that we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Remember from class, the commandments are all summed up with one word. Love. Love fulfills the commandments. You, you studied this last fall with Bob, the, 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 the two tables of the law, that the first three commandments, they talk about our relationship with God, and the rest of them, they talk about our relationship with our neighbor. And, and for those of you that wasn't that last fall, you can remember this too. Right? That might be going back two, three years for some of you, but okay. Remember that... These commandments, they're all about how do we love God? How do we love one another? And so when we look at our relationship with God, if we love God, we're not going to have any other gods. We're not going to misuse his name. We're going to gather to hear his word. We're going to hold it sacred, gladly hear and learn it. And when we think about our relationship with our neighbors, you know, we start with our parents. We we honor our parents. We love them and and cherish them. We we defend other people's lives. That's the fifth commandment, right? And, And then we commit to being sexually pure, to protect other people's property, to protect their reputation, and to rejoice when they have good things, even if we don't. We don't covet. And too often, we look at those commandments as a burden. We look at them as something that that God is putting on us to kind of constrain us and control us. A list of rules to keep so that we never have fun. But the commandments are about love. And God is saying in these commandments, this is how you love one another. This is how I want you to think. This is how I want you to act. This is how I want you to relate to one another. You know why? Because I love you. And I know that this is the way that your life works best. And when we understand God's commands to be about his love, all of a sudden they don't become burdensome. Because when doing God's will comes from knowing how much he loves you, so you love him, and you begin to love one another, this, this life becomes worth it. Now, I want you to notice something. I did not say that this would be easy. Neither did John. John. He says his commandments are not burdensome. He did not say that they are are easy. You will be tempted. The world will tell you that God is not real. The the world will, will tempt you to think that God does not love you, that you should do whatever you want. Explore whatever you feel you want to do. That the best life is is the one where where you do whatever it is that makes you happy. And those relationships that are around you, they just kind of pale in comparison to what I want. But God teaches us that the best life is when we abide in His love, when we rest in His love, when we love others. More than ourselves, even to the point where we would lay down our life for our friends. Jesus said something about that, right, in the gospel lesson. And when we live like this, trusting in Jesus as our Savior, that we will find that our joy will be full because of Jesus. That's not easy. So God tells us, through John, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? It's through faith in Jesus that we overcome. This is the victory. Believing that Jesus has won forgiveness for our sins that he has defeated death for us. He has given you a new life, a new birth. To believe that Jesus is the son of God is to believe that God has so loved the world that he gave him. That his plans give you hope and a future. That he will bless you and keep you. That he will strengthen you that he will be with you consistently without fail because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you have every reason to praise him with all that you are, even with dancing. It means that you believe that you are loved by God, saved by him, and redeemed for him, and renewed in him. You see, Jesus is no ordinary man. He's fully human, but he's also fully fully God, right? We talked about that, two natures of Christ. Fully divine, but also fully human. And it tells us that for everyone who has been born of God, ah, that's the last slide. This is he who overcame by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. And there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. When John reminds us that Jesus came by water and blood, he's remembering something. And he's reminding us about something that's only recorded in his gospel. Remember how we talked about how John is the last living link back to Jesus? that all the other apostles died before him. You know, so he's this old guy writing back, encouraging us to live in this faith. Well, John was also the only disciple to stand at the foot of the cross. All the others ran away. But John was there through the whole thing. So while the other gospel writers record that there was a spear that went into Jesus' side, John was the only one that saw that And John is the only one that reports that when the spear went into his side, something came out of his side. Blood and water. He's the only one who saw that. And he's reminding us with these words that Jesus is the one who came to bring us salvation. Salvation that came at the cost of water and blood that was inside his body that he gave that in order to redeem each and every one of us. And he emphasizes this truth, that, that this faith is not merely spiritual. This, what we're doing here, it's not just about emotions. It's not about coming in and feeling better about myself. It's not about making you feel good or, or bad or, or whatever. This is about our everyday lives because when we've been loved by God, it impacts the way that we live. It impacts our interactions with the world. All of a sudden we live with hope, new life. Being a child of God in this world is different than what we were before we were baptized, before we came to faith. This shapes the choices that we make. It informs what is right and what is wrong. It informs the things that we do. It impacts our attitudes. Because often love starts with our attitude toward other people, doesn't it? It changes the way that we treat others. And it forms us to act. To act out of love. The fact that Jesus came by water and blood also reminds us that he was born. You guys get to see that video yet where a baby's born? I think that's high school health class. Not to be gross, but at birth, water, and blood, Jesus was fully human, just like you, so that he could save you, so that he could claim you. And these three testify the spirit the water and the blood jesus is who he says he is he is the son of god and the son of mary he's the one who makes all things new he's the one who unites us in faith hope and love he brings us into fellowship so that we belong to god but we also belong to one another And that's something very important to think about on Confirmation Sunday. We belong together. And God continues to to work in your life, in all of our lives, through the Spirit, water, and blood. The Spirit of God is at work in the Word And he speaks to us when we read the scriptures. He breathes life into us. It's kind of like spiritual CPR. Remember how it talks about we were dead in trespasses and sins, but now we've been made alive in Christ? That's what the Spirit does. He's at work in your life through water. Even though it may have happened years ago in your life, the waters of baptism are still at work in you where he washed you, where he named you, and where he brings you into fellowship so that you belong here because you've been born of God. And he works in your life through the blood. And in a little while here, we will come around this altar and we'll receive Jesus' body and his blood. And we will be fed and forgiven and we'll be reconciled to God. So stay with us. And I would say this to all of you. Do do not stop meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. We need this time together. Because God is at work in our lives right here. Because God loves you. And so do we. Stay with us. And hear God's testimony about Jesus about the spirit, the water, and the blood. Receive his love in Christ. Receive new birth in Christ. And love one another in Christ. Next year, you're going to be going to a, a new school. Bigger school. And you have a brother right there with you, along with many others. But walk together in faith. Love one another in Christ. Because when you look at what's going on here, we're people who have been born of God. And that makes us brothers and sisters in Jesus. Amen.